I'm Alex Mito. And I'm James Milley. And this is The Artist Business Plan, your favorite weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs, hosted by Superfine Art Fair. Hello, business artists and art entrepreneurs. Welcome back to the Artist Business Plan. My name is Alex Mito, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Superfine Art Fair, the most widespread art fair for artists in the United States. As you may know, we're also a business resource for all things art, artists, and marketing of art. Next to me is James Milley, Superfine's other co-founder and our managing partner. We're here today with Sean Kolodny. Sean is an American artist living and working in New York City and in Miami, Florida. Drawing from a life spent among substance, addiction, and materialism as the owner and operator of New York City's most prominent nightclubs, which I may have to ask you about a little bit, Sean. I have a nightlife history as well. His work confronts the infinite cycle of fake fulfillment shaped by modern society's addiction to ego, using the most sought-after brands and the most addictive drugs as a visual medium. A highly sought-after and provocative artist, someone whose work really gives you something to talk about. Welcome to the show, Sean. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We're glad to have you. Now, before we get started, this is something we do on every episode. I want to ask you something to help our audience get to know the real Sean. What is the earliest memory that you have of art? And did that influence you later when you transitioned into becoming an artist? There's not a, a specific moment or memory, but I was always a builder, tinkerer, always in a creative mode and a creative process. At the beginning of my life and career, I wasn't really into fine art. I was a little bit more into design, which kind of manifested itself with my first degree, which was a Bachelor of Industrial Design, what I call sculpture with purpose. <laughs> Anything that's mass produced and looks good. Mm-hmm. But I don't recall at the beginning, there wasn't like a paint set or anything like that that like sparked my eventual foray into art. But you'd say like it started when you you had this passion for industrial design, for building things. Yeah, I, when I was a child, I had a passion for like creating and building more sculptural stuff, more like the, like physical 3D things. When I was in high school, I think I was at the Art Students League. I went to RISD for summers. Oh, cool. I was always like, so even early on, I was always drawing, painting, trying to do, I just didn't realize that's what I wanted to do. It always was like a weird hobby on the side that kind of influenced some of my choices, but right. never on the fine art side, at least, because I was always kind of toggling between like engineering and art. It's amazing because I think like sometimes popular opinion about artists is like, you're only left brain, right? Or we're only the creative side. But really, I think many, many artists that are in our network that we work with, you have similar stories to yourself. And I'm sure this will resonate with them who we have one artist who we interviewed this week, who had a career as a CPA and accountant, and then took that into art. I mean, it really is a balance and, you know, it's your story's not as unusual as you might think. You, you know, what I've, what I've come to realize, because I've been, in, you know, I've been an entrepreneur most of my life, first in the hospitality business. And I, I've always been kind of like a startup guy and, a, you know, a bunch of great failures in the tech business and a bunch of other fun stuff. <laughs> Art is basically running a startup, right. right? You have all the basic things, right? There's production. Yeah. You have to make the art, right? There's marketing. You have to, and you have to sell the art, right? There's sales, right? There's mm-hmm. inventory, there's management, there's gallery outreach, collector outreach. There, and, and by the way, if you look at like some of the, today's most successful artists, they build businesses, right? They have teams of people. They have Some of them actually have people making their art, but many have people in all these different aspects. And I think people lose sight of that. They think artists, they think like this lone, the lone weirdo painting in, the, in, a, in a studio somewhere. And the part that a lot of people miss is to really excel and to really kind of grow out of that. Mm-hmm. It takes all this other stuff and all these other people. 
Absolutely. And that's what the podcast is about. So it's a good, good seg into our questions. So Sean, you left a successful career as a nightclub owner to become an artist. When you started creating, you wanted to explore topics that were impactful to you, like substances, addiction. When did you realize that art could move from a passion of yours to something that you could actually make a living doing? So I was making art and I was experimenting with a bunch of different styles of work that I was kind of playing around with. And, you know, I was putting some stuff out on Instagram, but not under my name. I had like fake in, like branded Instagram accounts and I was getting tired of the hospitality business. I was kind of growing wary of it. And an artist friend of mine uh, named uh, Jojo Avim out of New York basically was like, why, why are you hiding with all this stuff? Just put your name out there, like own it. I don't know what this crystal ball was. Like I was scared to like push it out there and show it and share my stuff with the world. And the second I kind of made that switch and made that choice, all of a sudden a whole bunch of other pieces started to fall into place. And I realized that I was at a point in my life where I wasn't happy with what I was doing. I liked doing art, but I was still doing it kind of on the side. And so there's always this question, like, can I do this full time? What is that? What does my day look like? Like by two o'clock, am I done? And so I told myself, I gave myself six months. I said, here's six months. If you do this like a full-time job and like seriously, as if it's a, your profession, like what does it look like after six months? Right. I made it a little bit of a ways doing it halfway. And what does it look like the whole way? And I dove in and it turns out I was not done by two o'clock from morning till night. I was probably the busiest I've been in quite some time. I looked at it and treated it like a business and started to schedule it like a business and work it like a business. You know, there was time for production. There was time for outreach. There was time for, you know, marketing that like, and I, and I segmented that out and, you know, sales started to go up and it became something that was plausible and real. It's interesting how you mentioned that, how it became plausible and real. And one of the things that I kind of latched onto is scheduling it like a business. Right. And I think that's something a lot of our guests on here have mentioned, and it's something I think a lot of artists miss is to actually schedule out your time, your production time, your marketing time, your sales time, and also just realizing that that is a part of it. Like you have to schedule that. Even if you want to be the kind of artist who works with galleries or you want to have someone else selling your art, you still need to allocate that time to work that side of your career, not just the production side. So I think just having a schedule is so, so important to getting it into this real plausible thing that can be your your income. Yeah. And I think what people don't realize is that part of the business is probably as much as 50 or 60% of the business, right? Like mm -hmm. your production time actually gets squished quite a bit because there's so many of these other things that need to get done. Otherwise you just end up with like warehouses filled with work. You constantly produce and constantly produce, but the amount of non-production time, you know, I think is directly correlated to the trajectory of my career when I, as it was going. So artists think about that. The non-production time is corollary to the trajectory of your career. That is partly what gets you in many ways, majorly what gets you out there and up right? I mean, otherwise you get backlog studio syndrome, which can be a little bit disappointing because you have this studio full of art and it's not going anywhere. And not only, you know, you take it outside of a business context, it's not that inspiring to have all the stuff that you made and you can't free your mind to make new things. So it's actually a really cool thing to treat it like a business, start selling your work and really, you know, move past that and start to empty your studio so you can have new thoughts and create new things. I think that's really cool. So Sean, you have a very recognizable brand to your art, even when you use recognizable brands in your work, like some of the companies that you've incorporated into your, into the actual work, 
What was the road to success for you with getting your name and your art out there in the art world into the universe? There was a point where I started putting work out there and I just, it had a bit more of a, when I first started working on that series, it had a bit more of an uptick than some of my previous work. Like my previous work I thought did great. I would get a, you know, an inquiry once or twice a month on Instagram. And then I kind of pivoted to a, you experiment with new work and kind of throw it out there. My recommendation is throw things out early and often and see what sticks. So I had this general idea about drawing on a lot of things in my life. And all of a sudden I started getting with this particular work. I started posting a couple of little things out there even early on. And the uptick was all of a sudden I was getting a bunch of inquiries a day. And so I realized that I had something there that I was, that I was connecting with people and the connection was there. Um, and so I dove into it full time, double down, triple down with that imagery and that, those ideas and those concepts and started making a bunch of work and trying to get more of it out there digitally. And then the biggest thing I did was I was starting to get some sales and some nice traction. And I realized that nobody really knew who I was or they knew me from different contexts. Right. And so I was recreating a context. So I had this brilliant idea. Uh, a friend of mine named Manish Vora had started uh, a company called the Museum of Ice Cream, hmm. which was like the first Instagram museum. I'm familiar with it. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Manish actually used to be running a really interesting art blog called Art Log, and then kind of pivoted into that almost by accident, and that thing took off on him. And so it was just when that was starting. And Art Basel was, I decided that my, like, I wanted to come out with something really big and really huge for Art Basel right? All the art people will be there. It's Miami. It's this, it's, you know, all these, you know, it's a place that I went every year as a, as an observer, but less as an artist. And I was going to have this kind of big splash for Art Basel. And so I decided to basically create a 3000 <laughs> looking back. I, you know, I, it almost killed me. I should point out, but <laughs> I, I put together a, a 3000 square foot immersive installation, basically wow. based on my art. So using each of the different kind of drug or delivery device to kind of make a, a, a real strong statement of uh, our addiction to, ironically, our addiction to all things that aren't drugs, right? Addiction to brand, addiction to technology, addiction to luxury, addiction to fashion, addiction, like all these things that have these kind of same feedback loops. Oh, this is great. I got it. I spent all this money. It's amazing. And then four days later, uh, this sucks. I need more. Oh, look, a better one. I had this idea and this dream and gave myself, you know, I, I had enough trajectory. I had about six months or eight months. I decided that's what I wanted to do. And then I started putting together the design, what each room was going to be, what each, how the installation was going to work. And basically a very Instagrammable play on what that was is because I saw that as the new, mm -hmm. by the way, that was the art, right? The addiction to the, the selfie and the, what I eventually turned the, the installation into, which was called the fake fulfillment center. Like we have this need to have this, like these fulfilling moments that we think are fulfilling that are really not that fulfilling. As long as, as someone else thinks they're fulfilling, it, you know, we think it's good. Put a team together to execute it. And four of us basically put this gigantic installation together. A friend of mine from the hospitality business gave me some space in his hotel at the Boulan Hotel in Miami, uh, my good friend, Sean Vardy, and was able to put together this amazing installation that tons, uh, a good amount of press and a good amount of tons of people in it. It was actually so well done that the the people from the Art Palm Beach Fair actually commissioned me to rebuild it inside their fair a month later. Yeah, a, a good friend of ours actually visited that and sent and showed us pictures of it. You worked with, I think, a curator that is a friend of a friend as well on the one in Palm Beach. We're going to dive a little bit more into the Fake Fulfillment Center as well, but I wanted to kind of underscore something you said in the first half of your answer there, which was that quote of throw it against the wall and see what sticks. 
And a lot of people listening to this podcast who know me from Superfine don't know that I also uh, run a hospitality business in Florida. I actually used that that exact phrase this morning talking to one of our general managers saying, look, there's times that you have to throw it against the wall and see what sticks. That's a question we get a lot from artists. Like, how do I build a brand? I have these different styles. I work on this. I work on that. Obviously, there are some artists out there that like, you just make what you make and you, you know, you don't, you're not looking for that kind of brandedness, but many, many artists are, and that's what they, that's what they want to do is they want to be acknowledged and for good reason. But I love that, that sentiment of just kind of, there's a point in your career where you're throwing it out there and seeing what sticks, what resonates with people, and then doubling, tripling, quadrupling down on that to make that your own style and what people recognize about you. Does that kind of make sense with what you're saying, Sean? Yeah, I mean, I think that makes perfect sense. And, you know, at the at the end of the day, brand works, right? Like being known for something specific or being known for a particular style or being known for, like when you talk about the artists you love, mind you, many of them have multiple iterations right. of what that is. That brand loyalty tends to transfer, mm-hmm. but like artists that were known for one particular style of work can then transfer to another. But to be known for something, I, I think is an effective way to to get to garner that traction, if you will. Yeah. And I would use this as a moment to kind of dispel the myth that there's really a downside or a negative to having an identifiable brand as an artist, because it really doesn't box you in. Um, I mean, obviously think Picasso, think Dali. I mean, a lot of people don't know Dali was a surrealist. He also designed the Chubop gum logo. He had all kinds of things that he was doing. Even the artist Tracy Emin, everyone knows her her neon work, but she also does painting, sketches, conceptual art. Her bed, she just had an unmade bed that sold her for a record at an auction. So really, I mean, by creating a brand, you're opening people up to recognizing you. And like you said, that brand loyalty transfers styles. So if you do change your style, you're not necessarily just going to lose everybody because you change your style. So there's nothing wrong with developing a brand around kind of a style or a specific theme and then growing from there. Another thing that really stuck with me, Sean, and I don't I don't know if this interests our listeners that much, but when you mentioned that first Art Basel exhibition that you did and how it almost killed you, I mean, that's really how our business started. We did our first Superfine in a blown out 60,000 square foot building in Little Haiti in Miami during Art Basel. We poured everything we had and everything we didn't have into it. And it was a huge <laughs> undertaking. You know, in the end, it was not financially successful. It was in some ways fun, but it made a huge impact and, and people really latched on to our brand and what we did. It enabled us, it gave us a launch pad to create a, a successful company over the past five years from that. So, I mean, don't be afraid sometimes artists to take a risk, do something big and get your point across in a big way uh, because it can resonate and it can have effect that lasts much longer than just that initial, initial time. I'm not saying to like bury yourself in debt to do it, but take a bit of a risk in doing something, get people to believe in you and grow your brand that way. It may not have to be Art Basel. And I think in a lot of ways, it doesn't need to be right now, but there are a lot of ways to do that. So I think it's a really interesting sentiment. So, Yeah, and let me tell you, and, yep. and on that note, that installation, even with the redo at the fair, like they were financial disasters for me. Mm-hmm. I, I sold a good amount of work, but this thing, when it was all said and done, the, the cost spiraled out of control on me. But, you know, I was so pot committed at that point that I couldn't bend another way. But what it did from a trajectory standpoint was great. One of the other things that I did from that one, which was a fun little key, um, I was always just coming from the hospitality business. I was always a big fan of, of invitations. 
And so I made like a very fancy custom invitation that was like an, a pill bottle with mints that had designer logos on them. And I actually mailed those to basically every gallery in the known universe. And I spent tens of thousands of dollars on literally stuffing invites and had a team of interns filling pill bottles with, uh, there's videos, I have videos of all this craziness, but something like that has like reaps rewards. Like I was in a gallery a year or two ago uh, in New York, and I actually saw one of my invitations on one of the, the people's in the gallery's desk clearly scored enough attention and, and like brought enough people that like it's stuck enough that someone like still keeps it. Right. Which I yep. thought was cool. No, I think um, that's great. And on another little cute side note that Tracy Emmons neon guy was the person who made my neon sign for my, for my installation. <laughs> oh, wow. That's so, that's so funny. I didn't even plan that. <laughs> that's so cool. And I mean, I, I think that's such a great idea to do something that's a little different and, you know, or in many ways, very different. And artists, you know, a lot of times it's interesting. This conversation is kind of going in the direction of kind of forming your own show because it really gives you a lot of power to get creative and you don't have to do things at the scale that maybe Sean did it or we did for our first super fine fair. But there are ways that you can in your own hometown or wherever you want, put on a show and get creative about how you put yourself out there. And that can have a long lasting effect. So I'm going to segue from that into a question about fear. Oh. Go for it. Right. It's a big question for everybody. So, I mean, especially with everything going on right now, how do you face fear in your art, Sean? And and what is your best advice for getting over that fear? I make work all the time. You never know whether it's done. You never know whether people like it. I'm always tepid about like pushing new stuff out there, but feedback, both good and bad. I'd rather people either hate it or love it as opposed to be like, eh, it's nice. And the hardest part, when you take the dive off the, the high cliff, like it stings for a second, but then once you did it, you're like, oh, that really wasn't that bad at all. And it's like a muscle. So like once you do it and like you can start pushing stuff out there, just start doing it again and again and again, because the more you do it, there's just less butterflies each time. When you do it the first time, you're scared shitless. When you do it the 30th time, it's like, you know, whatever, who cares? There's a famous um, Tim Ferriss line your life is good as the amount of uncomfortable conversations you want to have. So consider it that, like that, that discomfort, like the more discomfort run towards the discomfort. If it feels awkward and crappy, it's probably the right thing to do. Yeah. I would tend to agree. I, I like the cliff jumping metaphor. I actually did that last summer in the South of France. We saw these teenagers jumping off these 10 meter cliffs and we're like, is that possible? And that they're surviving, right? So did it a couple of times, got a couple of bruises, but by the time, I mean, by the second or third time, I was ready to do it all day long. It's like really that first one is the hardest. The first jump is the most difficult. So get that one out of the way. Like you said, fail fast and often. I like that you referenced Tim Ferriss. That's the four-hour work week for those listening. We've we've actually given that book out as gifts to the artists in Superfine Fairs. It's one of my favorites. I listen to his podcast all the time as well. There was an interesting guest on his podcast recently, Seth Godin. He used a phrase that I think kind of fits well into this part of the conversation, which was, you know, people say sometimes, just do it, just, you know, Nike, just do it, just do it. He said, you know, the real way to think about it is merely do it, merely do the work. Think of it as just something you have to do to get through. And if you have to do it 30, 40, 50 times, just merely go through it without letting it drag on you and affect you. And just, you know, it's going to get easier each time you face that fear and get over it. So I think that's a really, really neat sentiment to to introduce here. 
artists think that they have to wait to be inspired or they think of this moment. If you, you'll wait around the rest of your life to be an artist, if you do that, like you have to just go make work and guess what? Most of it's going to suck. Right? <laughs> like it's, that's just the fact of life. But some of those mistakes turn it like some of my mistakes have turned into like the best things I've ever done. Like sometimes you have to do it. Like I'm doing yep. some new work now and literally I, I write down in my count, like in my calendar sketch today right? I need an hour sketch today, right? Like, otherwise I won't do it. And the mere act of doing it is pushing the series along and pushing things to where it needs to be, as opposed to being meandering about in my, in my head where it does nobody any good. Yeah. And that goes back to that idea of scheduling. I mean, you just said you scheduled time to sketch and like, you know, we're, we're sitting here with it's a business art podcast, teaching you how to market and sell. But at the end of the day, you also have to schedule that time to really create too. And whether you want to listen to Nike or Seth Godin, either just do it or merely get the work done, merely get through it and propel yourself forward. I think that's amazing. If you want to work out and you, you don't feel like you start with one, start with one sit up whenever, start with one sketch and then one sketch turns into two sketches and two sketches turns into a painting and a painting turns into three paintings a day. And all of a sudden you have a process, right? You, you have a practice and it's creating the environment for that practice to work. And guess what? It's hard. Like it's not supposed to be easy right? If it was easy, everyone would do it. Absolutely. Work at it, put the time, put the energy, get through. I mean, turn your mistakes into the best successes you've ever had. I can't think of anything truer or more salient to being an artist. Just turn the mistakes into successes and that's going to get you forward. So I want to circle back, Sean, back to the Fake Fulfillment Center. For those who haven't seen it, you explained a little bit before. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about it? And also maybe how are you picturing the comeback to in-person or experiential shows and exhibits like that one? You know, I think the next six months are still going to be fraught with fear and grief and pain and stupid and all the things that have dealing with for the past 11 months. I am of the belief that when society turns back to normal, it's going to do it with a vengeance and people are going to be fiending for these type of experiences after zooming for the past 11 months, because though zoom is nice and it's easy, it's just not the same as real life, right? Of course not. And so I think that you're going to see a whole bunch of people doing really experimental, fun, over-the-top things. Um, I also think the neighborhoods and communities and places that these things are happening is the, really the big thing that's going to change because people have realized that they can live in nice places because the rest of their life became remote. So I'm curious to see how that interacts and plays with it. But I'm super bullish long-term of what's going to come back and kind of the level of creativity that's going to explode from this. I'm with you there, Sean. And I, I think the artists listening really take heart because you open the news. It's not that it's wrong. I mean, there's I don't know what week this is going to air, but right now we're hearing there's an uptick in COVID. There's this, there's that, right? But there's also two vaccines on the horizon. There's another dozen in the works. The news is just on a constant cycle, right? So it's meant to tug your heartstrings and make you feel something. Make, I'm not going to get into some conspiracy thing, but it makes you feel you know, good or bad or yeah. And you got to kind of look beyond that and think, okay, well, how is this going to pan out? And the reality is, you know, it will return. And I like some of the things that we've gained through Zoom. We probably wouldn't have started a podcast. We did 36 straight weeks of, uh, of webinars that were a lot of fun. We hosted classes on business skills for artists. These are things we might not have done without the situation. So like, what did that do from an audience build perspective? Honestly, I think it strengthened the ties with our current audience of our clients and then also kind of broadened it too. I mean, we've been able to see growth even with this podcast overseas 
or we didn't touch much overseas prior. So there's quite a bit of good that's come. You know, it is not real life to be glued to your computer 24-7. And there was, there was a great article Jerry Seinfeld did in response to someone else who had uh, said, well, New York is dead. And Jerry Seinfeld said, there's one thing wrong with the remote working thing is that everybody hates it. There's still, there's some good sides, there's some upsides, but for the most part, this lack of socialization is not fun and it's not really natural to our experience. So I agree with you that it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, what six, eight, 12 months down the line in-person experiential looks like. And, you know, an artist, I would definitely be considering now how I would be doing that when it happens. Maybe don't set the exact date if you don't know it, but just start getting ready, mentally prepared, maybe allow yourself to draw plans for something and see how it goes. Yeah. Well, well one of the things I'm actually considering, because I'm actually started sure. working on kind of a new series of work also, like the, the pivot we were kind of talking about and the idea of, of audience build, right? And so like, how do you grow that audience? And obviously social is one of the better ways to do it. Being an artist is, is much about creating work and it, it almost seems like a lot of it is creating the content that goes around it. And so for me, which I'm not a particularly huge share by default. Mm -hmm. So once again, pushing myself to be uncomfortable, to, to make a video that maybe I wouldn't have made or to, to do something a little weird or a little sure. funky, to do a street art piece, to do, I don't know, I, there's times I've been practicing talking into the camera and while I'm painting and I'm, I listen to it, I'm like, oh, this sounds so weird. <laughs> um, but I'm like, but if it does and it makes me uncomfortable, yeah, maybe I'll try posting that, right? Like, right. like using this kind of weird blocked off time to try and experiment with things that you otherwise might not have done to kind of, whether it be explain your process, show technique, show thought pattern, get stuff out there because these dots connect, right? You do a certain type of thing, you push yourself out. Like, had I not done that, that installation, I wouldn't have gotten certain piece of press. I wouldn't have done this and you wouldn't have called me to do this interview, right? Like Absolutely. all these things connect. The person you meet, is never going to be the person that does helps you what it is, but the person that guy introduced you to whose relative did this, who showed you the work there is all of a sudden the guy who becomes your biggest collector, right? Like, so you never know what that network looks like and how to get to those people, but pushing yourself out there to be in the position to have those opportunities happen. And once again, it goes back, you know, the, the, the luckiest people I know work really hard. You have to make those opportunities for yourself, right? And making that opportunity tens of thousands of people saw that installation and saw my work, which then, you know, I had all their emails and all their names and all that. Like, so all of that was an audience built, mm -hmm. right? At the end of the day, that that's what make, that's what'll make you particularly powerful. I think. Absolutely. And, and actually you couldn't have given me a better seg into our next question, which is about Instagram with this pandemic and without the ability to put on events in the same way or exhibitions in the same way. Artists have been turning to Instagram to showcase their work, reach a broader audience. So a couple of things you already noted, like pushing the boundaries of discomfort, maybe doing some new things, trying some new things, dealing with maybe the videos a little bit silly the first time, but just continuing on with it, I think is so important. Do you, do you run your own Instagram, Sean? And, and do you have any other tips for artists on how they can up their engagement either now or just into the future? Well, remember the first thing is that stories disappear after a day. So no matter how stupid you feel, they, they vanish. So yep. always feel confident with that. Right now, I've been managing it myself. As I mentioned, I've been working on some new work that I'm starting to push out there, probably not even heeding my own advice as much as I should, which is push out there faster and often. I'm literally in the process now of actually interviewing people for an assistant because there's a lot of work to be done, right? It takes a lot of work to manage this, especially 
more video takes a little more work, a little more editing, a little more this, a little more that. As of late, I have been managing it myself. There are a couple of tools I used to use in terms of to, to, to help with engagement and things along those lines. I mean, the best thing about Instagram is that at one point, my business really was driven primarily through Instagram. It didn't start that way and it, it kind of became that way. And you know, now that there's artists can survive very comfortably without the gallery system or next to the gallery system or a slightly different route through the gallery system. And they, once again, they tend to come hand to hand. If you have a, a big presence in, in social media, th- those opportunities then present themselves because people want those affiliations. They want the eyeballs. They want the clicks. They want, like it, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's so much you can do with running an Instagram. And I also like that you are interviewing people to come on and, and assist you with that. A lot of artists ask us about that. It may be one of the top questions we get, like, you know, how can I do this? Where can I do it? And there's sites like Upwork, things like, you know, Fiverr, where you can find someone for even a few hundred dollars a month who is, like you said, can be maybe more digitally native native than you. Maybe it's not even that. It's just a time thing. Like, it just yeah. literally saves you time. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. And it's just no shame in that. I mean, like if it, if you have a good strategy and you have someone who can help you execute it and help you with the production side, that way you can focus more on the other aspects of your art. I think there's nothing at all wrong with that. And it's a cool way to go about it. With the um, word you just said strategy is <laughs> I used to be very haphazard. I would just like post a picture. I made a picture and I would go post it. Right. There was no strategy. There was no thought to it. It was just like kind of visceral. And at some point, I, you know, you, I started to think more about it in terms of being more holistic about what that is right. and taking it more seriously for what it is. Because if it is that driver that it is for most people, it shouldn't be as haphazard as take a picture and post it. There should be you know, some organization to it, some thought to it, some yep. structure yep. to how you do it, whether it be hashtags or whether it be what content you post on what day, whether, you know, what times, how it looks, what does that look like holistically? Like what's the story or narrative you're trying to tell? Like all of those things can get baked in there and will you know, how do you respond to people who make comments and what does that engagement look like? And that, because all those things tick off with each other and fear, you know, depending on the algos, like make you get found faster and more. And, and so once again, like everything else, these things are all intertwined taking the time and the thought to think about those a little more, I think is important. And I absolutely agree. I think it's so important. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing right. And if you're, you know, you're gathering leads through your Instagram, it's something that's important to your business, really put the time and a strategy into making it something that works for you. Make sure you've optimized, you have the right link in your bio, you know what you're doing, you're sending people to the right places. And that at the same time, you have this tool like Instagram story that you mentioned, Sean, where it's not permanent. It just goes and then it's gone 24 hours later. So allow yourself to be silly. Show your show who you are, like see what gets like back to our throat against the wall and see what sticks with your work. You can do the same thing a little bit with Instagram using the story feature, just seeing what people gravitate towards and then running from there. I think that's a great plan. Sean, what's one more word of advice you would have for an artist out there who's really trying to break into the art world and make their move? What would you tell them? Be uncomfortable. Push yourself out there. I used to spend like so much time getting it just right, right? It had to look a certain way, like the way it is in my head. And I would spend all this time to do it. And the difference between me spending all this time to make it look just right in my head, if I had stopped at 80%, like that last 20%, took as much time as the first 80%. And when I show those two versions of the work to people, nobody but me notices. Yep. So I've realized that if I push things out a little bit early before that it's perfect in my, like 
push stuff out there, even if you're uncomfortable, even if it's not ready, even if it's not not where you think it needs or should be, throw it out there. Let the world see, right? You'd be surprised what kind of feedback you get. You'd be surprised what kind of, of, of voices you get. So that that would, I think, would be my my number one suggestion. I love it. Be uncomfortable, artists. Be uncomfortable. If you think something is only 80% done, it may be ready. Don't let good be the victim of perfect. That is amazing. Thank you so much, Sean. So to all you artists out there, Sean's been here with us today, dropping absolute advice bombs. And you're going to want to go back and listen to the podcast again and take notes. If you want to connect with Sean, you can follow him at Sean Kolodny on Instagram or visit www.seankolodny.com to learn more about Sean and his work. As always, remember, we're Super Fine Art Fair on Instagram. If you want to give us a quick hello or learn more about how to apply for and exhibit at one of our upcoming fairs in 2021 and beyond around the U.S., just drop us a line at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world. You can also visit our site at www.superfine.world. And as always, I would like to end the class by sharing a quick and relevant quote with you all. And today that quote is, Once you replace negative thoughts with positive ones, you'll start having positive results. And that is by none other than the redheaded stranger himself, Willie Nelson. Sean, it's been a pleasure having you with us today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the time. Yeah, we're glad you made the time too. Everyone have an awesome rest of your day and remember to stay on top of your business plan. Get out there and make it happen. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Artist Business Plan, a weekly business podcast for artist entrepreneurs brought to you by Superfine Art Fair. Hosted by Superfine CEO Alex Mito and co-founder slash professional artist James Milley, join us and leaders in the art, marketing, and business arenas each week for tips, tricks, and value bombs designed to help you thrive and sell more art. For more information on applying to Superfine Art Fair, as well as recordings of this in all of our past podcasts, just visit www.superfine.world. We love to hear what you have to say, so just follow us on Instagram at superfineartfair and shoot us a message to let us know you're listening. Looking for a more personal connection or want to exhibit at an upcoming fair? Just shoot us an email at artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world and we'll get right back to you. That's artistsmakingmoney at superfine.world.